Welcome to In the Landscape, a podcast on all things landscape design and care related with your hosts, Kate and Charles Sadler. Hello, welcome to another episode of In the Landscape. I'm your host, Kate Sadler, and with me in studio is my co-host, Charles Sadler. Good to be here. Good to be here. We are here on a Sunday afternoon. No, sunny afternoon. (laughs) It's not (laughs) Sunday. Uh, We're recording during the week, but we are excited to be in studio bringing you another topic on landscape design, care, travel. Memories of travel. (laughs) (laughs) landscape, business, concepts, all, all of the above. So Education, a, too. Education is a big one. Yeah. It is, like, it is really cyclical, where it's, we have a project, we're hired for the design, mm. we learn about it, mm. then we realize there are other people that want to learn about it, and yeah. then it can become a lecture, a class, or some of these historic properties. We'll research what is, you know, the history of a certain designer or a certain part of the garden arts. Mm-hmm. And so... Sooner or later, it finds its way. If we use it in one area of our practice, sooner or later, it percolates up into another. Absolutely. Into a lecture, a class, or or it'll wind up at a client's home. Mm-hmm. It'll be part of a design. Yeah. So we've got some exciting designs underway for our clients. You're, I think, have recently been asked to be a guest on another podcast. Oh, right. So we'll look forward to, I I just want to make sure the recording is done and we have a release date. So we'll be sure to announce that on our podcast. I just want to make sure everything's in order before I mention the name and and get too carried away. The person had lots of interesting guests from, you know, institutions, organizations that I'm familiar with. So it's neat to see. It's be part of that. Oh, it's always nice to be asked. So Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're excited about that. Slowly but surely trying to get our YouTube channel so that it's on par with some of the other media that we do. So mm-hmm. we're really consistent with the podcast. I've been a little less consistent with some of our produced videos, but there's a lot of great information on our YouTube channel. A lot of like hands-on videos, basically. Right. I mean, some of it's of somewhat and, like it's not a highly produced video, but it's like me in the field doing pruning, visiting properties. Yeah, which is a lot of, I mean, hopefully what it does is helps provide some visual accompaniment to a lot of what we talk about on on the show. So that should be interesting. But we're going to try to get some of the production elements up and running. If you haven't been over to our YouTube page, you can look for us under King Garden in the Landscape. Awesome. Okay, so we've got it all there. (laughs) So we have the name of our of our design business and of the podcast, which we're very proud to have going for well over a year now. So thank you for tuning in and listening. We're excited to have you here. As you know, we have our hand in a lot of different projects. So tool sales are going gangbusters because mm-hmm. the tools, we did not design them. <laughs> they are not our brand, but we're happy to be retailing them here in the U.S. So uh, we have... We did the selection process. We did. <laughs> we did. We got to go shopping for tools. Nothing too bad about that. And we settled on Bergen and Ball and their gorgeous hand pruning tools out of, out of England. Um, mm-hmm. A very old company that is endorsed by the Royal Horticultural Society. And especially the line of products with the Sophie Conran sort of design aesthetic. Mm-hmm. It's just beautiful. And we love working with them and offering them. So if you're interested, you can head on over to our website, kinggardeninc.com. And Garden that's just shop. a little bit of a plug. I mean, I don't think we, we don't have sponsors. <laughs> we're not a big, big podcast, but we kind of sponsor ourselves. So thank you for listening and, and bearing with us as we share our projects mm-hmm. and, and what we're up to. And if there's interest, we thank you for going over and taking a look and checking out a, you know, a, a class or a, a tool. You have a webinar coming up 
actually a couple. So we partner, we're working on our own primarily asynchronous landscape courses. Um, we were really ambitious. We had a whole bunch of titles we wanted to release and we've slowly scaled back and we're, we're doing a really like careful, thorough job and then unveiling those. Right. So if you're interested, if there's a topic you haven't seen yet uh, on our website, feel free to check back or let us know that you're interested. But if you want to see Charles do some live teaching, if that's of interest, you're doing a webinar for the, I think it's the LA Expo. Right, which is the Landscape Expo. Expo. And so folks can go over to their website, which I will pull up in a second. And they've been doing scores and scores of, of live classes, of webinars, you know, what started this summer. Well, and like many of us, I mean, they had a whole different model. And I mean, I I don't know that there's a whole episode in it, but there is something really, you know, there's some elements of the landscape business that we've seen do pretty well, but there's a whole side to the business, which was the expo and conventions and getting together and networking Mm -hmm. and things like uh, Mance, I think is one. An Atlantic nursery. Yeah. And then this one in LA that they've been put on hold. So they're there to help mm-hmm. us, you know, meet other vendors and figure out where the industry is going. And, and so they're innovating as well as many of us and trying to find ways to offer, you know, value to the people that would have been interested in going to the event. So they have a webinar series currently going and you can find them at thelandscapeexpo.com and then search for Charles. He'll be presenting on November 18th. And oh, it's, it's going to be, up. yeah, it's going to be a pruning Pruning focus, right. selecting excellence, which is really what <laughs> pruning is all about. And, you know, the excellence that is in, innate in the plant and that you want for your aesthetic. Right. And, and it's really of, about the selection process. Because what you leave when you're pruning is very, just like editing. It's yes. very important. Like some of these well-known writers, you know, they would keep, keep removing basically. Mm. And then what's left is really what's essential, nothing more. And we'll link to these as they get, um, they tend to, you do the live webinar. And then once they're done, there's like a recording that we try to make available through our website. So you can link to these content providers as well as to our classes if you're so interested. So another organization we work with is Half Moon Education. And again, they were big on like the live seminar. You've, you, you know, you were prepared to do a, a class here in the Houston area. And that's been put on hold while we sort of innovate in the in the online sphere. Right. And so some of their webinars are available already for self-study and include things. Really, a lot of what this is driven by is continuing education credits for professionals. professionals. But I think if you're interested in this, in this podcast in particular, as an enthusiast and you're interested in some of these skills, mm-hmm. it's still certainly like, yes. Maybe you're not getting the credits and, and the price kind of reflects that credits are being given. So it's not for everybody, but it's still a way to kind of access the level of education that the professionals are getting. It's really in-depth too. It's yeah. not like a 20-minute video where you kind of gloss over. Right, it's right. like hours and hours. What's And there's a quiz and <laughs> it's, some it's very in-depth and there's a lot of interaction too. Especially with the live webinars. So for those folks who are interested in catching a live webinar, you have one coming up with Half Moon Education on December 3rd. And mm. that one is going to be, they're so clever. They did a great branding exercise and they, they labeled it Pruniversity. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's their brand name, not ours, but I love it. We're happy to kind of be the ones who are leading the charge on that platform. Right. So, And they go out to, I mean, thousands and thousands of professionals, engineers, architects, landscape architects. And if it's not on your radar, I mean, you know, I mean, that we often talk about the 
extensions, the, the cooperative, uh, extension. yeah, cooperative extensions is a good place. But there are a lot of organizations that are offering education. And so it doesn't have to be formalized, you know, and there are a lot of other speakers when we love it if you are interested in our classes. But of course, you know, there are a lot of the people we even maybe cite on the oh, show. Right. And it would give you an opportunity to kind of hear from them directly. You know, there's a Facebook group that I am like the host of. So it's an interactive people share questions, mm. pictures of the garden. It's like it's all about pruning. Admin. Yes. Which is called uh how to prune and why didn't it bloom? That's like the, oh, fun. Because they're they're related, but and so that's open. It's a private Facebook group, so anyone can join it. Mm-hmm. But the posts aren't. It's like internal, right? Yeah. So everyone in the group sees the posts. So there's it just sort of cuts down on the spam, more or less. Yeah. <laughs> and there's people from around the world, so that we really try to post. It'll be pruning your mango tree. Mm. It's like overwintering your dahlia bulbs. Mm-hmm. How to prune your crab apple in Maine. It's like very. I try to be very diverse with wow, it nice. because it's a wide audience. Yeah. But the same principles apply no matter where you are. Yeah. Well, okay. So if you listen to all of that, really, it's just to say that, you know, thank you for listening to the podcast. And if you're as eager to consume this education as we are to kind of like contribute to it, which mm-hmm. I just, it just, I don't know, we're somehow driven to, you know, here you are, admin, you know, uh, moderating a Facebook page in your spare time on the right. topic that we work in. Like, We just wanted to put some of those resources out there. So we hope it's of interest. And if not, we're about to move on to our primary topic for today, Mm -hmm. which is, oh, it's almost a funny way of thinking of it, but like the greening of our yards. We might assume our yards are green just by virtue of the fact that we're growing plants out there. And certainly the color is likely represented. But of course, we mean it in the, again, thinking in terms of branding, like almost in the, in the way of like ecological minded gardening and landscape design and care because it it can be there's a lot of pollution and poor practices in the landscape business that Mm -hmm. they have occurred they still occur and others but always there's progress so it's good to focus on the positive but i mean cutting an enormous lawn with the combustion engine Mm. that is not good for the environment Mm -hmm. it's not it's not a secret No, no so it's not saying like you should have no lawn or forget where the client was, but they were, the backyard, they wanted to be sort of a nature sanctuary mm-hmm. with lots of pollinators. And they were very ecologically minded, but their front yard was was quite small. And they said, I'm not ready to give up that lot. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. there, were, there were trees and shrubs. It wasn't just lawn, but so, I mean, moving in the, in the direction of things other than traditional lawn mm-hmm. and on the, the uh, Green Building Council, which is U.S., gbc.org their suggestions are if there is lawn to have a drought tolerant lawn there's all different types at that new houston eastern glades that lawn is zoysa there's the different types of fescue which Mm -hmm. is like very fine blade which you can there's no mow grasses but Mm -hmm. there's also fescues that you mow that would look the average person wouldn't know the difference that's drought tolerant so there's ways to to radically shift your landscape, mm-hmm. or there's also subtle ways, and they all have benefits. Yeah, well, and it can be a combination of those. And it might be. I think sometimes the thing about this is going to sound terrible. The thing about like these ecological advances is that there's often a tipping point at which they become more affordable, more feasible. Mm-hmm. Like the 
downfall as a human being is that there's certain things that are like convenient oh, <laughs> or expedient right. or so the decombustion engine lawnmower that mows the lawn, like I'm not going to do a push mower on my, you know, quarter acre property, which is terrible <laughs> because it's not <laughs> ecologically mindful, but it's just, in many ways, it's just reality. And so it's almost like there's, I guess it's like, there's almost like an inertia unless we're working together or we're given small steps that we can take. You know, I think a lot these days about something like reducing waste, the tons of waste that I produce every year as a consumer. Not good, right? So we're composting. Of course, we recycle. Packaging. Yeah. And we recently, I mean, it's neither here nor there for our listeners, but we recently changed our diet to not include animal products. And so all of a sudden, there's a lot less packaging to some of the food. Mm. It's like the waste is really like, it doesn't go in the trash can, it goes in the compost, and then you're done. Right. <laughs> so it's like... Because a vegetable, oh. a fruit or vegetable, it's already packaged. Yeah. Like it's the banana <laughs> Yeah, is the package. <laughs> Which again, is not, I'm not, it was just a personal actual health choice for us. And, and so... That's where we are. It's not, we're not, that's not the primary topic of this uh, podcast. But the thought of reducing my waste, I think, felt intimidating ahead of time because, mm. you know, it's like, like we have a baby in diapers and yes, I'll try the clock. I don't know. So we're all being sort of pressed to make these choices. And so, what are some things we can do that are practical for the garden to begin with? And as you said, I guess empowering people to make small incremental changes rather than right. saying you got to tear it all out and do zero escaping or you're nobody. <laughs> you <Right. know? laughs> Which is not so reasonable. No. Now, if it's, it's a new project well. that yeah. you can say, oh, okay, we're, we're mm-hmm. building a new home or renovating. And then the, sometimes there is opportunities like on the projects we're working on where it is pretty significant renovation landscape projects where make sure all the lighting is energy efficient. That this mm-hmm. one lighting company was saying, in the southern U.S., outdoor heaters are popular because mm-hmm. it doesn't get that cold. Mm-hmm. You're not going to sit in New England. You're probably not going to sit under a heater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's way too cold to mm-hmm. be outside in the winter. But in the southern U.S., so the heaters have timers. Mm-hmm. So it's not, I mean, part of that is it's not a fire hazard. Mm-hmm. So it's an overhead heater that's built into the ceiling like of a pavilion. Mm-hmm. And so it, it'll, after 30 minutes, it'll automatically shut off. And that's also energy efficient. Mm-hmm. You don't forget about it. Well, and I mean, I always feel a little better about our our massive air conditioning use here in Houston because we have the option to do wind energy as mm-hmm. as our source. However, you know, wind turbines hurt birds, so I mean, there's, right. there are trade offs, and and we don't mean to say like it's one size fits all or that it's necessarily easy to make these adjustments. But as you say, one can be mindful going into the design process. We've talked in other episodes about reclaiming materials and that that can be a good way to to get there. One of the things I kind of wanted to talk about in this episode personally, because we do talk about using natives and thinking about planting in drought tolerant ways, Mm -hmm. but I was blown away. I think we were watching Gardener's World, the program from England that is hosted by Monty Dawn, which we've talked about on this show before because we're fans. But there was a woman who was showing off all of her water reclamation Mm. exercises in the landscape. And she talked about the amount of of water that like goes through the hose per second or something. And, you know, so what is it we can do? How tolerant are plants of kind of like reclaimed water? You know, there's that the term gray water, which I think is 
poor marketing, unfortunately. Because right. <laughs> it just sounds un- unhealthy. You think it's going to have like soap bubbles? Yeah. Like, like if I save my bath water, can we really be using that on the indoor house plants? Or should I change my soap? And then all of a sudden the world is like open to me saving all this water. Right. So, so there's all types of guidelines. So like the green building councils, This there's another one. It's called, it's en.reset.org, which is... It happens to talk about how to reduce your ecological footprint. So there are definitely guidelines. And on the Green Building Council's website, it talks about all the different water uses. I think mm-hmm. it says the average American, which is like not something to be proud of, is about, consumes about 70 gallons of water a day. That includes like watering a vegetable garden or a lawn. And I mean, so 70, imagine a gallon holding mm. that container at 70 of those in a day. So the shower, the Toilet, bath, washing dishes. So just being a little bit mindful is a, is a start. So, and so it also cites, in the U.S. at least, all that water is potable. Like you could drink mm. all of that, all those elements. It's the same conditioned water. So you don't need potable water for all those conditions. Mm. I mean, to drink, of course you do. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in a bath, it doesn't have to be, you're not going to drink the bath. Now, you wouldn't want to use gray water in the bath, but in Las Vegas, that's a quite a, like a good precedent that people can look up and study. The large casinos there, all that water is reclaimed water. Because that's sort of part of the entertainment there, these incredible fountains. Oh, yeah. Okay. So you're taking a shower like at 10 o'clock at night. And then you, you walk past the fountain the next day. That might be like your shower water yeah. that has been clean. Oh, that's really clever. And But it's not coming from an aquifer or a reservoir. I mean, I got something recently. I'm a little bit into a little bit into prepping. Again, it's not that podcast. I'll start my prepper podcast at a different time. But I got something called the Life Straw, I want to say. And like you can mm. actually stick it in a stream and drink through it because it has this like filter that's just oh, to, right. you know, certain... Microbes. Yeah, whatever, whatever. So I almost wonder if there are cleaning, like filtering, yes, at water reclamation plants, but if there are ways to even filter a little bit of the soap out if you are concerned about affecting your plants or something and products that can kind of assist you in this process of reclaiming more water. Right. And there's lots of online groups, websites that would have where you could ask questions. I live here. There's some parts of the U.S. that There'd be many like-minded people and then other places you might be an outlier, but you could still find information. Well, and what about cisterns? So those can capture rainwater, which we have a lot of here in Houston. Uh, Again, that may not be practical for everywhere, depending on your rainfall, but but here certainly uh, we could be capturing water. But they're not the most attractive in terms of landscape. Like, is it possible Mm. to design them into your landscape or or should we not even care and it's it's fine if it looks a little bit i don't want to say agricultural but it does it's, yeah, it's often a like a large like a barrel like yeah. corrugated yeah. metal so like it's on a working farm at, you know as opposed right. to the manicured grounds so some of the modern homes it can be kind of edgy and mm. so it can be designed in such a way that it that it stands out but it's in a it's in a contemporary that the materials themselves of mm. the cistern add sort of cachet. Mm-hmm. I've seen that done pretty well. It can be hidden too, where mm. it's underground. So it's it's a, it's like it's like a metal tank or a concrete tank, 
and it's underground, and that can be effective too. Now that you don't have the benefit of gravity, probably, mm. so there might need to be a pump. Oh, right, right. Where if yeah. it's above ground, now some of those have filtration systems and pumps also. Mm-hmm. So there's, I mean, the most simple would be a rain barrel that looks like a barrel, and depending on the scale of the property, that can be concealed. And then that's gravity fed. You have a, you have a garden hose mm-hmm. at the bottom of the barrel that you could water the lawn with. And you could have one of those at every corner of the, of the house in theory. Mm. And then when it, it's designed to overflow, so if it gets full, then the subsequent water just overflows, mm. it, which would be the same as a downspout. You know, oh, yeah. It doesn't cause a problem. Well, those are kind of cool. I mean, that certainly sounds like something you might consider if you're doing new design or new, you know, and you're talking to clients and kind of stepping them through different ways of, of thinking about water, especially. So what are some other things we can do that are, you know, because again, and, and if you're interested, I mean, we have other episodes on creating habitat for wildlife and like there are many elements of good ecological because it's so systemic, right? Like. Mm-hmm. So we could be talking about really anything going into the landscape. What about materials like wood and plastics? I mean, how do you make sure you're making good choices about what to use? Oh, right. Um, I assume stone is fairly inert and not going to harm things, but are there other other materials we should be mindful of and their ecological potential ecological impact? I mean, really like any material, there are ethical and ecological standards. That could be being met or not. Like when you buy carpet, you know, does it have that term VOCs, volatile organic compounds? Mm -hmm. And so that would really be true of anything, which is, my guess is that that would mean, is it carcinogenic or is it Mm. somehow, so that would be true of paint. I mean, naturally occurring materials, I don't think would have that. But Mm -hmm. for wood, if anyone's gone to a lumber yard in the last number of years, things will have a label on them. FSC is one of them. So that's, the Forest Stewardship Council. Huh. And so that there are certain guidelines. It would be like the Green Building Council. Mm-hmm. Is that timber being logged and, and is it being, are there sustainable forestry practices, mm-hmm. which would be regenerative forestry, mm-hmm. replanting? Which is good for the environment and the industry, I would think. I mean, there is, there is a right. finite, I'm sure that like, I don't know, in the 1800s, I'm, I'm sure they thought it was never going to run out, but we just, we know today that, that resources run out if we're not, if we're not able to replace them. And so it's just, it's just logical that, I mean, there may be really nice wood in the big old growth forests, but once those are gone, they're gone. So why not have fast growing, you know, high quality lumber trees that you can grow in an area that that that's their purpose they're they're being harvested so and that i mean there are unsustainable like where tropical hardwoods are being unsustainably harvested but there's also sustainable forestry and all these there are sustainable practices throughout the world and so just because it's a tropical hardwood i mean some of those are to my knowledge ecologically sustainable Mm that they don't need to be stained so you don't need like an oil-based paint that it's it's its own preservative mm-hmm. that would travel a long way to get to your house. But if it's going to last a long time, if it's going to last many decades mm-hmm. instead of a decade. And so a design professional could help you weigh the pros and cons mm-hmm. of that. And same with, with stone mm-hmm. and there's gravel and other stones that the quarrying of them or the harvesting does ecological damage, mm-hmm. does erosion. Oh, yeah, we have talked about that. Then there are, there are generally most industries, there is some type of a guideline. 
some type of an organization, like for landscape architects, there'd be, they produce guidelines. So beneficial, the Green Building Council, depending on your country, Mm -hmm. there's plenty of good guidelines out there. And that if you're working with a professional, you could ask them, do you follow these? Do you know about Mm -hmm. these? So it's not the major gist of our practice. I'm always aware of it. And I always try to steer it in that direction. Mm -hmm. And some clients ask for it. And then we go even deeper, you know, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. 100% of these plants are going to be native and pollinators. Well, just from a practical consideration, especially if you're you're listening and you, you're planning a design or you're working with a client on a design, because some of it is about setting expectations, like, mm-hmm. you know, electric vehicles. I'm not sure today, well, certainly if I wanted a Tesla, it might cost me a lot, but but in some cases, they, it, I think maybe they're more expensive up front. And then obviously you're saving money on the gas component. But oh, right. if you're on a budget, I mean, you're not ponying up for the electric vehicle right away. Mm-hmm. I think in California, you're going to have to eventually in a few decades. Anyway. Oh, right. But again, it's like we're all moving that direction. But maybe you're not an early adopter of the new technology because it, it is prohibitive. But having the awareness and, and planning can help budget in that direction. Because I, I do think. In a lot of cases, in addition to being, and again, I hate saying it, but like being hard to do, it can sometimes be expensive to do. And Mm -hmm. then we just, I mean, I know for myself, then it's like, well, I'm just going to give up and not, and not pursue this because I can't, I can't. So. Right. So to steer a little, some of these suggestions for how to, how to green your house, when mm -hmm. it talks about the inside is is a a fair amount. So buying things that are used, like used appliances. So, I mean, some of those you buy a very high quality piece of equipment. It could be better than a new one of lesser quality. Mm -hmm. So if you're building an outdoor kitchen or, I mean, there are markets, I know like in the restaurant industry, if you're setting up a new restaurant, you can buy a new or a a used, a used appliances are at a very high level, Mm -hmm. sort of $90,000 range it's thirty thousand dollars and so that would be true on a consumer level maybe it's three thousand instead of nine thousand that makes sense sure and for the materials curbing and other types of stone are very popular Mm -hmm. so like a granite curb from the midwest that was it served its useful life for a hundred years or more Mm -hmm. if the materials are locally sourced within a couple hundred miles of where you live let's say that's quite sustainable and so they might not be as easy to work with. We've talked about that before. Mm-hmm. So there's always pros and cons. But some of the projects we're working on, we meet with a contractor. Sometimes there's another landscape architect. And we sort of go through the checklist of the pros and cons. On the bigger projects, we get multiple bids. And it's helpful to see the professionals only can suggest what they know. So mm-hmm. you talk to multiple professionals, they each have their specialties. Mm. And I've gotten, I've gotten insight that way. They'd say, you have to do it this way because in their head, they've never done it any other way. And there's often, this other person says, this is the common way to do it. Mm. It's going to be real expensive. This other way, it's going to be less expensive. We might, we might have to fine tune it. Like mm. this patio might settle. So every five years, you might have to reset, mm. you know, which would be a minor adjustment, but mm. it would be like 50% the cost. Mm. <laughs> so it's sort of part of the design process and steering things to be more ecologically minded. Great. Well, I mentioned wind energy because we use that here for our home electric, I think is exclusively wind. And again, every industry has 
I guess, a, a curve along which it's trying to be <laughs> sustainable and, and well done. So we may find fault with just about everything if, if we look hard enough, but, um, but we're, we're baby steps in the right direction. And another one is solar. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that's a, that's a way to get our energy. I do know my perception of solar is, for example, I'll get, oh, there's like those little fountains that you can put in a pot. that are solar and if they're in bright sunlight they'll have a little bit of the moving water and and it's really nice like Um, a water fountain yes it's it gives you the motion if you don't especially if you're not prepared to do the pump and the electric from the house and i mean some of these things are daunting so just having you know this quick little solar light or i do it with like decorative lights and stuff Mm -hmm. it's almost like the energy i think it's gotten better but it doesn't seem very robust is solar what we should be? And if you're in the solar industry and you want to correct us or, or lend anything to the conversation, feel free to get in touch with us. I don't want to misspeak or mischaracterize an entire like technology. Is it something we should be wholly dependent on for our outdoor lighting and stuff? Or is there like a mix of solar and, and traditional electricity that we might need to have in place? I think it depends where you are how much, which region you're in. If it's a very, mm-hmm. if you're in a temperate climate, if you're where it's like in the winter, there's only eight hours of sun, or mm-hmm. it's a shorter day, it's cloudy and there's snow cover. So it's solar is definitely possible, but it might just be like 20 or 30% of your use. Or if you're in the Sun Belt in the Southern US, it could easily be a hundred, it could be a hundred percent to my knowledge and you could be selling back energy certain mm-hmm. times of the year. Mm-hmm. And there's even... Some of the real estate websites where you look up uh, homes, uh, sale history, mm-hmm. it, I believe it it gives you a a solar rating. So it'll say, and a solar company can do that with software. So they look at your home on on a satellite image and they rate it. Mm-hmm. So if there's, it depends on the tree cover. Mm-hmm. So solars, I would agree, it's not it's not a magic cure all, but there's a lot of potential there, and it mm-hmm. keeps improving. Yeah. Well, and for something like those garden path lights, I think it's often quite effective. It, it kind of like, especially with the light sensitivity, they turn on at just the right time. They give just enough light to kind of like get you through that, you know, the the hours that you t- one tends to be in the yard if they're in, mm-hmm. a, in the yard after dark. And then, you know, if they don't make it quite until dawn the next morning, it's not the end of the world. So I know there's something kind of magical about how they sort of like come on as the light gets low enough and, oh, right. and you haven't done anything. They're not like drawing energy from the house. They've just sort of built up this store of energy in their, in their solar cell. And then lo and behold, they're lighting the, the path. So I do think it's a, it's a neat technology. I mean, there's yeah. some, the townhouse we, the, in New York that we lived in, we had solar lights that attached to like the garden yes. shed to a, an alleyway between the buildings. Oh, because those were motion sensor. Oh, it was motion yes. and light. Yes, and so they didn't just come on. Oh, some of them did. We did have some versions that came on. They had like two settings. During low light. You'd have it where it just comes motion. on only when there's motion. Mm-hmm. And some of those, when those were in full sun, they were fantastic. Yeah. And then the ones that were in part sun wasn't as effective. Right, right, right. So you do, I mean, we, t- we recommend that sunshade study for plants. And, you know, if there's a place where you think, Solar would do the job, especially because running lines from the house might be, you know, prohibitive, expensive, so whatever. No wiring is so... Yeah, it's really great. I mean, some pretty high-end property projects I've worked on, they had those same, that same type of mm. solar. 
and it was like full sun. It, they're relatively handsome. Mm-hmm. That there's no wiring. That nothing can ever go wrong, really. Right. And then if if after one or two decades it fails, you can replace. It's right. re, it's easy to replace. Yeah, because you it's can not do it with a system. with a screwdriver. It's not you don't have to hire a specialist. All right. So anything else to let our listeners mull over in terms of this topic? Well, the, the sun and the shade would, in warm climates, having shade from deciduous trees. Mm. That is quite an old practice, but mm. I mean, it's not done that often, actually, like, like with new homes. So to have the central, central air conditioning, you don't have to do it, but it's very beneficial. So mm. the air handlers air conditioners, those ought to be in the shade, mm-hmm. ideally, not in blasting sun. And then to plant shade trees on the east and the west sides of the home that are, depending on what climate you're in, but in many climates, if you're in the subtropics or in temperate, having those be deciduous. So then in the winter, the sunlight, you get passive solar. Mm-hmm. So the, the sunlight warms the house in the winter since there's no leaves. I mean, our home in Texas here, we have that on the east side of the home, I think. It's very effective. Mm-hmm. On the west side, we've planted trees, so it's, it's gradual. And we want, actually, we want some sun on that side. Right, yeah. So there's very simple steps. The Arbor Day Foundation, they have an, an animation-type video where it, it shows the benefits of planting shade trees east and west and then planting evergreen trees for a winter wind block. Oh, and I think. Yeah. Like depending where the prevailing winds are coming from, we get a lot of prevailing winds here. So in Texas, the wind is not a factor. Like we don't, it doesn't chill the house. It's not that type of wind. Yeah, like in the Northeast or the in a temperate U.S. Midwest or Northeast, to have evergreens on the in New York, I know it's like the northwest side of the home is where you get very strong winter winds, Mm -hmm. and so that breaks the wind, and that would lower your heating costs in the winter. Sure. All right. Well, thank you for joining us for another week of In the Landscape. Grateful to be here and put out a little episode for you on the topic of greening your landscape design. Anything else to say before we sign off? Well, that that native plants, they tend to use less water and be more resilient to extreme weather. So that's generally a good choice. You can't go too wrong with a native plant. (laughs) It's possibly the best place to start. You can just head in that direction and then then keep going as much as, as you're able. So thank you for listening. We hope you get a chance to enjoy your landscape sometime soon. And until next week. Thank you. All right. Bye bye. In the Landscape is brought to you by King Garden, a full service landscape design, care and education company. Enjoying what you hear on our podcast? We encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. We'd love to hear from you. So drop us a line at connect at kinggardeninc.com. We welcome show ideas, gardening and design questions, and always corrections. We travel all over North America giving garden talks and leading trainings. Check us out at kinggardeninc.com for our speaking details. And also take a look at our online course offerings for more in-depth explorations of topics covered on our show.